Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Samuel 21? David at this point is in exile. And Saul will be after him. And David's exile and Saul's pursuit from this moment, from this time, from this chapter, from this adventure will last about 10 years. David writes beautiful psalms during those 10 years um, when he was in his worst danger. He wrote about his highest hopes. So from time to time we may reference, we have in our trek through Psalms, we have referenced um, some of them during this period. But I want to speak to you from this chapter about David's hope in exile. David goes to Nob. All right, so his first, he doesn't go far away, but probably having been with Samuel, he would learn that the priesthood there, and especially the high priest, would be uh, friendly to him. This is where the implements of the tabernacle were, and it was sort of set up there. And uh, the Ark of the Covenant was located in, in and around this area here. So he arose and went away, and Jonathan came to the city. David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling toward David and said, Why are you alone and no one with you? Obviously, the priest knew that David should have had an entourage. He was the anointed king. He was a, he was a high-ranking official with uh, Saul. So why is he not attended by people and why is he alone? David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king charged me with a matter and said to me, let no man know anything concerning the matter upon which I'm sending you and with which I have charged you. And I troubled the young men uh, to advance to a hidden secret place. This is uh, not the first time that David will use a mind, what's called a mind leading technique. He's not really telling the truth and he's sort of telling the truth. I mean, he's, he's serving the king of kings, but the king of kings didn't tell him anything like this, nor did Saul. But he also is trying to cover himself so that the priest won't get in any kind of trouble. But David, in his travel now, has no food and he has no way to defend himself. So he stops here. This probably, as I said earlier, was by the advice of Samuel. And now, what is there in your possession? Five loaves of bread, give them. 
into my hand or whatever is found. Now five loaves of that would be the showbread, of course. And the priest answered David and said, there is no ordinary bread in my possession, but there is holy bread. And if the young men have but kept themselves from women, they would have been defiled and they needed to be consecrated to even be considered uh, to use the holy bread. And David answered the priest and said to him, but women are withheld from us as of yesterday and the day before yesterday uh, when I left and the young men's garments are hallowed and that is a manner common and even if today it would be hallowed in the vessel. Now that would have been the truth because his men had been sent off and they were waiting for him. The priest gave him hallowed bread. Now the Lord Christ references this and because of, the, because of the state of affairs and the condition, this was allowable. Uh, this was bread generally that was to be used by the, uh, by the priesthood. And when, the, when, the, when a set of showbread became old, uh, they gave it away, threw it away, whatever. And people brought, they, they would have new, fresh showbread. But the showbread, which was removed from before Yahweh, to place warm bread on the day it was taken. There was a man of Saul's servants on that day, detained before Yahweh. And his name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. It's hard to understand why the Edomite was there in the place of the tabernacle. Um... He was detained before Yahweh. So it's obvi obviously Yahweh has a purpose. What goes on with this man, that's the events that start here, will work themselves out through the course of David's uh, story in the Bible. And as we get to his name, we will reference back and talk about how these things progressed according to Yahweh. And David said to Ahimelech, if there is here in your possession a spear or a sword, for neither uh, my sword nor my weapons have I taken to my hand, for the king's business was urgent. David knows that Saul is on his trail and he has no way to protect himself. He's wanting to make his way to his men, but it doesn't always work out the way that David wants it to work out. Now, at this point, David will travel from Nob to Gath. So let's look at it. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you slew in the valley of Terebinth, behold, it is wrapped in a garment behind the ephod. If you wish to take that for yourself, take it, for there is none besides it here. And David said, there's not a sword like that one. Give it to me. David arose and fled on that day from before Saul. And he came to Achish, the king of Gath. And the bondsman of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Was it not of this one that they would sing out with musical instruments saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. 
it would seem to keep his men from being discovered and to protect his men, this was the best thing for him to do. So he took the chance of going into the land of the enemy. Now he had gone to war with some of these people and they, they knew him to be a great warrior. They also knew what was being said among the people that David was indeed uh, the king of the people. And David took these words to heart and became very much afraid of Ahish, the king of Gath. And he changed his speech before their eyes and he feigned insanity before them. And he scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down his beard. And Akish said to his bondsman, Behold, you see a man who is mad. Why do you bring him to me? <laughs> do I lack for you lunatics that you have brought this one to rave in my presence? Will this one come into my house? So David here plays another mind trick. What's he going to do? He's going to pretend that he is having a grand mal seizure. Now in those days, of course, that was attributed to demonic activity. Uh, in a, generally it was, not always, but generally it was. And so when the king saw the behavior, there were a lot of things that he could have thought. Well, number one, they've run him off because he's crazy. And now he's come to me and I have enough people to care for who aren't right and I don't need another one. I don't need him anywhere around me. But the trick worked because we'll see it in the next, probably should have included the whole narrative and used the next chapter as well. But the, the whole thing worked because David makes a miraculous escape from all of this. Now here's the point. Everything along the way was, was of Yahweh. David has a purpose that cannot, that is irrevocable because Yahweh has established a covenant with David, the Davidic covenant. The, the responsibility of the fulfillment of that covenant does not rest upon the shoulders of David. It is not within the strength of David to see that that covenant is fulfilled. David himself has the whole world against him. The worldly system is against him. Satan knows that he carries the promise of the Christ. This is part of the covenant. So nations, Gentile nations especially will be raised up against David. The house of Saul the king at this point is raised up against David. David is running for his life and just when he needs something to eat, it just happens to be the time that they are changing out showbread for the fresh showbread. And it just so happens that uh, the priest says, well, I have this. He he could have just said, well, no, that's not appropriate for me. But he didn't. He gave David to eat 
the loaves, what was left of these loaves. And it just so happens there's not really a story as to how the sword of Goliath winds up in this place. David chopped off the head of, of Goliath a, f- a few years before this. And it was in a war. You would think that such a treasure would have been taken by Saul and put on display perhaps in his, in his palace or perhaps he would have given it, taken it for himself as a sword or given it to someone. But somehow it's wrapped up in a garment and it's in this place where the vessels of the tabernacle are being kept. It just so happens that it's the only weapon uh, in the whole place. And it so happens that Achimelech says to David, I know for a fact that this sword is here and you can take it if you want it. And David remarks about what a fine sword it is. It would have been a big one, I guess. Very heavy. It was Goliath's sword. But now he's been refreshed and he has something with which to protect himself. But when he flees to Gath, he's not able to sneak in and be unnoticed. Somebody observes and notices who he is. But David, with a, with a mind-leading technique, with a, with a trick, makes them think that he is insane. And so they... They stay away from David, and David, we'll see in the next chapter, makes his escape. All according to the hand of Yahweh. That's going to take 10 years for David to come to the throne. 10 years. And all of that time, his, his men, generally speaking, there is a time or two when they get discouraged. Generally speaking, his great men, his great warriors... They remain encouraged. Uh, David takes a, a force of men and goes to battle against greater forces and wins. And David, during that 10 years, Yahweh uses that time for David to gain favor in the hearts of the people. When you study this period of time in the history of uh, Israel, you will note that coming out of the era of the judges, the tribes were very independent and they weren't that interested generally, uh, especially at the outset. They weren't that interested generally in coming together as a nation. They They remained as a loose bond of kinsmen in the reign of Saul, but Saul never could do what David did. In later times. And David is doing during this time what Saul could never do. David is there to help the people immediately when they need help against the Philistines or, or other uh, the enemies of God's people. And David is always successful. And the people never forget David. And finally after those 10 years well there's a space of time when David will only be the king of Judah and Benjamin. Uh, but then like Two to three years later, the rest of the tribes will accept David as the king and the nation of Israel is born. 
because during this 10 years, God is making it happen. So that David couldn't have known it from year to year, the purpose of God, God at work in the hearts of all the people in favor of David with whom he had a covenant, David, whose son finally will sit on the throne in the kingdom uh, that will be the kingdom into the ages of the ages, and that will be, of course, Messiah. David couldn't have seen all of this and how God would bring that together as a nation just for that time. Now, the nation remains a nation in the reign of uh, David and his son Solomon, but the sins of Solomon bring the judgment upon the kingdom of Israel. And the Lord says to Solomon, I'm not going to divide the kingdom while you're alive for the sake of your father David. But when you're dead, the kingdom is going to be torn in half. And there will be two kingdoms. And of course that's what happened when Rehoboam, his son, becomes king. Those people who weren't that happy to begin with to be part of Benjamin and Judah, they were, they were, they were happy to follow David because of the adventures of David in those ten years. And they enjoyed prosperity unlike at any other time under the reign of Solomon. And they enjoyed peace. But they were the kind of people who were always looking for the first opportunity if they had to, not to stay with the rest of the bunch. And that's what happened. They, they tore themselves away and, and tried to emulate, tried to copy what was being done in the southern kingdom as the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, and, and then the whole thing begins to fall apart over a period of a couple of hundred years. First the northern kingdom and their sin, then the southern kingdom and their sin, uh, which, which brings us through the, through the era of their regathering under the decree of Cyrus after Babylonian captivity, then the difficulties they had during the era of Ezra and Nehemiah and uh, Esther. And then uh, the time that uh, other, during the Maccabean period, that's, we don't have that, that's the 400 silent years, but Herod the Great came in and began to build upon the temple ruins that were the temple that had been built during Ezra and Nehemiah's time and made it a grand thing but the pride and the sin of Israel then brought the wrath of Rome upon them, thus to be scattered until the final regathering, which is where we are today, the final regathering of a nation. So in those 10 years of exile, God uses it to endear David to the people so that from that time on, they would accept the promise. They would understand the promise of the son of David. So when we study these, these years of exile and the adventures of David and all the things that happened to him after he becomes king, we have to be able to identify Yahweh at work to finally and ultimately bring the Christ of God, the son of David, to the throne of David in, in, the, in the kingdom age that is yet to come, which will then give way uh, to the new heaven and the new earth. Well, we're going to stop there and we'll pick that up next time and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.